0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for Conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. Curling and genocide—that's the intentionally half glib and half feisty title I would give the Beijing Olympics. Is there a Torah? A Jewish perspective on how and whether a generally moral and sports and recreation enjoying and concentration camp averse person should approach watching the type of Olympics that are soon coming to an end. As many of you know, I'm a bit of a sports nut. If I could quote chapter and verse from biblical and rabbinic texts, as well as I can name masters golf champions going back to the early 1970s. I could be a scholar. Watching sports, even ones I would never be interested in playing, has been a part of my life for as long as I've known myself. And at least since Lake Placid in 1980, I've devoted slash wasted a good number of hours watching the Olympics, including sports you couldn't pay me to be curious about in the intervening years. I have never once seen a World Cup alpine skiing competition on TV, unless ABC's wild, Wide World of Sports snuck one in there in the early 80s without my knowing it. But somehow the name Pyramin Zubrigan flows off my tongue as I just remember the Swiss racer winning downhill gold in Calgary and dethroning the unexpected American winner Bill Johnson in Sarajevo four years before. To me, curling is a silly sport. It probably doesn't even deserve to be called a sport. Part cornhole, part shuffleboard, but on ice. And with extremely serious looks on faces and shouts from teammates, curling is a bit ridiculous. But boy, was I cheering on the U.S. this past week. <laughs> as it lost a very close semi-final match against Great Britain. And hearing those sh- shouts in a Scottish brogue is amazing. The pageantry of the Olympics grabbed me. I am an unrepentant patriot of this glorious and imperfect country. And so I root for the flag. When Israel presents its team and colors in international competitions such as the Olympics, my Zionist pride swells. And did you know, by the way, that an Israeli downhill skier, Barnabas Zolos, who has dual Hungarian and Israeli citizenship, came in second place in the slalom portion of the downhill combined And in sixth place overall, therefore just three spots out of Israel's first Winter Olympics medal ever. Every Olympics comes with stories of triumph over tragedy and achievement against great odds. Deep in my anthropological evolutionary being, I thrill at the competition itself, the question of which human is faster or stronger or more skilled. And though some of the athletes are now professionals in their sports, earning millions on World Cup circuits in between Olympiads, no one's getting rich in monobob or ski jumping. And yet admirable athletes devote hundreds and thousands of hours just for their chance to represent their sport and their country, and in that way taste some glory. So I'm a big fan. And one half of my soul just loved cuddling up on the couch this week with lev admiring nathan chen's brilliant artistry as a figure skater amazed at the acrobatics of big air snowboarding tricks and wishing even once that i could try navigating down the ski cross track cuz it just looks really fun and the other half of my soul it was mired in guilt Wondering to what extent my recreational downtime was even partially aiding and abetting genocide, and the forced isolation and cultural reeducation of the Uyghur Muslim population. I listened to Al Michaels, who will always be to me the voice of the Winter Olympics and for so many. And I read the words of Alicia Wiesel, the son of the late great Eli Wiesel, who's been writing about our moral obligation with respect to China. And I wondered if the phrase, do you believe in miracles, would mean more if it were applied not only to unexpected American ice hockey triumphs, but the eventual freedom of the Uyghur population. Was watching ski jumping tantamount to giving a pass to tyranny? Was every mention of Beijing and China and the local authorities successful staging of the Olympics, a version of sports washing, as it is now called? And was I complicit? Can a person, can a Jew, just watch luge with no morality plays at play in a Kierkegaardian suspension of ethics where somehow the competition itself is extracted from its context and can just be enjoyed guilt-free just for the fun of it? And the question, I'm sure, was on the mind of everybody watching the Olympics. What would the Kutzker Rebbe say about it? Funny you should ask. The Kutsker Rebbe, as everyone knows, was notoriously terrible at curling and never could take those bobsled turns at the right speed. But he knew something about imperfect aspirations, complicated expressions of human desire. He knew and he wrote about partial purity and that flawed attempts towards lofty goals were encoded deeply in the human condition. He offers an interesting read when he compares two major sins of the Israelite people in the desert. The first in our parsha Kitisa, with the golden calf. And the second from Parsha Shlachlacha, with the scouts bringing a negative report about the land of Israel and falling into a despair and lacking faith. The Kutzker wonders why the latter case, there seems to be some tshuva, some regret and repentance on the part of the wayward ones, and yet there's no divine forgiveness whatsoever. The punishment God gives is harsh. But in our case, with the golden calf, the idolatrous revelers engage in no self-reflection or contrition, and yet still the Torah says, Vayinachem Adonai al asher lasot la'amo. God regretted what God initially was going to do to punish the Israelites. Forgiveness is granted even though it's not even begged. Why? The Kutzker says that with the scouts, their entire aspiration was material. What he calls the Tishukalagashmiut, the desire to be comfy. They wanted, in his words, tapuche adumat tovim, good potatoes, easily harvested from the ground. They wanted a rose garden, an easy life in a promised land. Nothing lofty motivated them, just the desire to have good stuff. But with a golden calf, even though we'd think that idolatry is a far more egregious sin than despair, in this case, the Israelites, Aaron included, were activated by what the Kutzker calls the spark of spirituality. They had a thirst for divine power and presence in their lives. They aimed in the wrong direction. They erred in their far from perfect execution, but they were moved by a human urge and a desire that the Torah wants to celebrate. And champion. And that is to live in such a way that suggests that there's a force greater than us, beyond this world, that demands some of our attention and fealty and investment. I like the Kutsker's teaching on its own. It's a very forgiving text, extracting something beautiful from something that on the surface was so ugly. But I also think his teaching applies to curling and to genocide. On the lowest level perhaps, but worthy of mentioning, There is indeed something lofty about intentional family time on the couch, all eyes and hearts focused in the same direction. What family ties on NBC may have been in the 1980s, the Olympics still are on some level. An entertainment magnet and glue which brings members of the family together, and in an era where every person has their own screen and their own Netflix profile, it's not a tiny thing. That slalom skiing can be a unifier, even when the event has a veneer or perhaps a terribly large wart of geopolitical evil. But way beyond that, the Olympics themselves represent lofty, if far from perfect, aspirations. While I believe that the UN has turned largely into a moral cesspool, I will always at least marvel at the human urge to try to transcend national boundaries and create human comity. And the Olympics at their best and even not at their best are for me in a secular category of what for the Kutsk Rebbe existed solely in the religious realm, the reach for something beyond devotion to something beyond yourself for every terrible story of doping and institutionalized borderline child abuse, such as what we were likely witnessed to amongst Russian female figure skaters this year. There are hundreds of stories of athletes overcoming adversity devoting their lives to bringing out their best. And when you add in the Paralympics, which just would not exist if not on the coattails of the human population's interest in the Olympics, there's much to be inspired by and much that is worth watching and cheering, even when the Olympics are in and sponsored by Beijing in 2022. Rabbi Moshe Alshech was a sage and spiritualist in the 16th century within the Ottoman Empire. He was born in Turkey. He died in Sfat in northern Israel and left behind a legacy of material both somewhat impenetrable and also inspiring and wise. And he also had a comment on a verse in which God pulls back from ruthlessly punishing the Israelites. The Al Alshech stance is also a forgiving, understanding one, but from a different place in the human behavioral constellation. He writes that its human and divine nature That when you overly tamp down your own anger or other negative urge or emotion, it's going to come out another time, more fierce and perhaps more violent. But if one yields to one's urge a little bit in a safe zone, some of the fury dissipates. One may have lost a bit, the momentary battle in holding oneself to a perfect standard, but one may have earned a better chance of winning the overall war. Of living within the reasonable standards of expression and behavior, the Alshech fo- focuses on the phrase in that sentence, Asher diber asot lamo, that which God had spoken, that which God had said God was going to do. God threatened in words. God came off fiercely, but those very words were a release of divine wrath, which made it less necessary for God to act on the wrath. This, in turn, created space for Moshe to come closer to God, to take some responsibility, and to continue to lead the broken people, but the people that deserved another chance. The al shech reminds me of the classical rabbinic midrash that I mentioned in Yom Kippur in my sermon about plant-based eating, which reads the Torah's permission to eat meat as a concession to the human urge for violence. Eating meat was never ideal. But rather than take out our violence on humans, as was taking place before the flood, the Midrash has God saying, eat animals under very limited circumstances. Release some of that fury that need to destroy on a cow rather than on a person. It's far from perfect, but it's preferable to wanton destruction. No Olympics are free from controversy whether geopolitical or within the competition itself. And slopes can be slippery, as it were. So if we construct a case for why engaging in the spectacle of Beijing 2022 does not represent our endorsing totalitarianism, one can argue rather cogently whether, in retrospect, one could say the same thing about Berlin in 1936, a two-week ghoulish propaganda blitz that ended up a celebration of Hitler far more than it was a celebration of athletics. This sermon slot is not long enough to explore that question in full, though I will say that I think that Beijing 2022 is more of a fifth cousin to Berlin in 1936, not an identical twin. But whatever true evil the Chinese leadership is involved in, the question is whether the Olympics are a worthy good in and of itself. And if so, how many countries are squeaky clean these days? There may be a true cultural genocide taking place in Western China. And could we root for an Olympics in Russia these days? And how much of the world might bristle at an American Olympics in this era? It's sadly hard to think of a great country capable of such a spectacle that is a paragon of virtue. Such is the sorry state of human living and national identities on this globe. If the Olympics are a good thing, and I would say they are, they need a host an imperfect, sometimes deeply flawed host. Maybe our most moral approach is to extract the beauty of the safe and peaceful competition amongst nations while holding onto and acting upon our opprobrium towards the host country when called for. The al-sheikh might say there is something powerful, lofty about sublimating our human instinct to compete and to win and to defeat and to raise our flag above others but to do so on the slopes. On the half pipe, in the rink, rather than via economic warfare or cyber warfare or the old fashioned form of warfare, costing lives and devastating societies. Perhaps it is close to the best we humans can muster to be focused on this type of fighting for two weeks for medals, other than the fighting that might inevitably be around the corner, whoever happens to be this year's host. This is not by any means a perfect idea. I might blanch in shame if I attempted to offer these words in the presence of a Uyghur before one whose life and family and culture is actually under attack by a governing body that got so much flashy PR these weeks. Perhaps. But that same governing body also received received two weeks of intense worldwide public critique reaching the ears and hearts of people who might not have paid attention to the Uyghur crisis or even heard of it. If not for the broadcast, they watched of the 10K cross-country skiing competition. Maybe some of those Olympic viewers this week are next month's activists. Maybe we can listen to Al Michaels and to Alicia Wiesel and commit ourselves yet again to be warriors against the genocides on this planet. In addition to And maybe even because we watched some curling. The country of Norway is winning the gold medal race. And for some reason, I am really happy for them. Paris in 2024 should be relatively genocide-free. Milan in 2026 should be able to be enjoyed without that much guilt. And LA in 2028? Maybe that deadline. And the world's focus on our beautiful and broken city is the very thing that will obligate our leadership of today and our leadership of tomorrow to work towards a cleaner, healthier, more human and more humane city for those with housing and for those unhoused. For all of our city's pockmarks, billions will tune in and cheer on their favorite athlete and cheer on athletics itself. And perhaps sitting on their couch in Chicago or Brussels or Mumbai or Adelaide They will be exposed to something beautiful or something ugly or both and be inspired as a result to make the world just a little bit better. And by the way, the four men bobsled competition concludes tonight, 720 PM Pacific time. Enjoy. Go USA.